Today on the LA Food Podcast, I'm your host, Lucas Ervodio, now speaking to you as an honest man. That's right, listener. I tied the garlic knot, I said I dough, and what's even better is that I didn't just throw a wedding dress onto a pizza and call it a day. I married a real-life human being. To celebrate my nuptials, I'm joined by Cousin Saul to talk all things wedding food. We discuss what makes a wedding menu unforgettable versus just kind of meh, and he tells me what he really thought of the food served at my wedding. We then go head-to-head in a battle to dream up the ideal wedding menu using only dishes from Los Angeles restaurants. Who will put together the best meal? You're going to have to listen to find out. But first, we go over some food news of the day and trade some thoughts on the epic season of Top Chef so far. So without further ado, let's chow down. All right, joining us back on the pod for the uh, first time in a couple weeks is the legendary Cousin Saw. Cousin Saw, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. It's good to see you. Good to be back on the pod. I was really excited to have you back. Last time we had you on, we did our Top Chef draft, I believe. Mm. And it's now been a couple crucial weeks of yeah. Top Chef. Oh, yeah. It's been a great season. It's been a great season. I know I know. I talked a lot of shit going in, but just the, the level of skill. And I think, crucially, this is something we touched on in our food competition pod. I think the international contestants are kind of bringing in some interesting tension, right? We saw that with May and Dale a little bit this last week. And it's not like anyone's a huge dick, but you can kind of see it's not like all buddy-buddy, like Top Chef Portland or Houston. There's a little bit of like friction, yeah. which makes it good. And the food has just been – and the competition has just been so, so good. Do you think the competition is akin to like when you're interacting with someone you know you're never going to see again? You're kind of a little bit more <laughs> of a dick? I Oh, that's actually an interesting take. I, I hadn't thought about that, but that could be true. I don't know. I feel like uh, Top Chef – They've obviously never done an international competition like that, but it typically does like generate ongoing connections. So I wouldn't say people are like throwing potential pat like post show relationships out the window, but I think there's something to like one, yeah. like just communication gaps, and two, I think it's a high stakes season. I think the people on really care. You you made a big deal about hunger in your draft and like how prior winners may not yeah. be as hungry. I think you were off base, man. I think people want this one. It's true. I think the hunger was not the best uh, barometer because I think everybody is hungry. I do think some are perhaps too hungry, and yeah. that has bitten you in the ass with, <laughs> I think, the shock exit of Top Chef so far, and that's the end of Don Burrell. Real, it was a real choke job. I like one, one of the big reasonings I have for drafting her number two overall on my team was she had this time management and, like, brainstorming issue in Top Chef Portland, but it's been a couple of years. She would have, like, refined all that shit. Absolutely not. It was, like, the worst of the worst of Don bad habits. And, yeah, I think I think the level of competition, I think the fact that it was in London, like, unfamiliar territory with, like, high-level chefs kind of got to her. I think she fully choked it. Yeah, she did. I think she was maybe too cognizant of her flaws in time mm. management that when the first thing went wrong in the first episode, I think it was another person on your team, Gabri, who <laughs> like spilt a bunch of water inside her dish. Yeah. Is that what happened? Yeah. And no, that's right. She, it threw her off completely. I think she was yeah. like, the one thing that I can't do is 
mess up on time. And now because of this MF, I am going to mess up on time. And she was not able to come back from that. I think it just, no, I think, you know, yeah. you have a game plan and then she got punched in the face and she wasn't able to recover. I think you're exactly right. I also think Gabri's a little Machiavellian genius. I think he did his scouting on Don. He did not look sorry <laughs> at all. He was like, my bad. And when he just like, he spilled yeah. like a fucking half pot of water on her shit. No one does that. Not on purpose. I feel like he totally, <laughs> he was like, she's, like she's weak. Like that happened. No, no. It, there was like, yeah, it, it was. And he was like, not that sorry. He had this little impish like grin kind of going on. And uh, yeah. yeah, no, it, it totally threw her for a loop and uh, sad to see her go. Well, I will say, I think I got the steal of the draft with Begonia. I think we agree you on You did. Yeah, no, you really did. She's a fucking rock star. I can't believe I picked Amar over her. Amar, who is yeah, by far the mistake. weakest link. And like, I, it was just like, it was like bias for familiarity, right? But you look at Begonia's profile and her bio, you knew she could be this good. I have no idea what scared me off. I think I actually had her rank like, top five in my big board, but then just like chickened out and you totally grabbed someone who I think, think might be there in like the final three. It wasn't a, it wasn't a sexy pick. I think her pedigree is so elevated. She has yeah. her own Michelin star that she felt like kind of a safe choice and there were just sexier choices on the board. And so yeah. I think that's why she kept slipping. And I think it, during our draft, we just tried to keep out sexying each other. So, you know, you would make a pick and then I would be like, okay, I can't pick, you know, Dawn or whoever. I'm going to pick the guy who cooks off the clothes, you know? So, That's right. who, uh, literally, yeah. By the way, by the way, literally out sexing each other, me picking Ali, the hottest brown man I've seen in a long time. I think I have the so most hot. handsome team in hot so, top chef history just with him alone. So good on camera. Ali is a beautiful man, and it is hilarious that he is one of your star performers, and you picked him so low because of your racist aversion to Middle Eastern food. No, that's right. That's right. I feel like if I had seen him on camera and really saw how his vibe and general tall, dark, and handsomeness worked, I would have been swayed, but I lucked into it. And completely, the two Middle Eastern boys, who I thought were going to be the duds of my team due to my racist aversions, are really carrying it, man. And we should mention, I am crushing you. I am destroying you I right was going to say, I was going to say, <laughs> yeah, no, I was going to say all of this chatter may give listeners the misguided idea that I am performing well in this competition. <laughs> it is worth mentioning that Cousin Saul is approximately 30, 30 points, 28 points in oh, front yeah. of me right now. So That's right. I'm not out of the game because of the way that the fantasy top chef scoring works. I can very much catch up. You know, all it takes is one bad week for him, one good week for me, but he is crushing. You are crushing it so far. It's been a great fast start. I feel great about Buddha as my number one overall pick. And I've had the winner every single week thus far, which has been huge. I don't, I, I feel like the season is so even though, that I don't feel super confident that momentum will necessarily hold. I, like you said, if I, for example, get a guy eliminated next week and you win, that's immediately a yeah. 15 point swing there alone. So yeah. a lot of game left to play. But I'm, uh, I'm excited to see how this plays out, man. It's a great season of Top Chef. It is. London is coming through, in my opinion. And I think that the nice thing about our teams is we both have some clear rock stars and some clear duds. <laughs> yeah. So any, any, <laughs> any outcome can happen any, any given episode. That's right. I almost, I mean, just as much as I'm rooting for my guys to, to obviously win week to week, I am totally happy if Amar gets the axe next, next week. 
I just want to see him gone, man. He's bringing down my other boys. Nearly got Ully eliminated. So it's a funny, it, there is a funny dichotomy at play. And I will say real quick on London, I do think there's a funny dynamic happening where like they go out to like pubs this last week and taste the yeah. food and all the chefs are like, this is disgusting. And so the, <laughs> the, the, the theme is like, how do good chefs actually make English food taste good? Because it's usually yeah. so gross and beige. Um, but it's working. It's working so far. It's working, man. It's working. Well, speaking of uh, players who are bringing down their teams, <laughs> I wanted to talk about uh, a piece of news, a food news that I saw this week having to do with one of the star players of your beloved 76ers Philadelphia basketball team. Uh, and that is James Harden, who has recently announced a new Prosecco line. Do you hear about this? Oh, yeah. I, I've been tracking closely James Harden. James Harden's overall wine brand announcement, which happened in the offseason this past summer, that was weird from the start. The wine is apparently gross, and now he's announced this new Prosecco line. Uh, yeah, it's bad vibes. It's bad vibes for my Philadelphia 76ers. Um, although I will say so the overall attempt is hilarious. Yeah, no, the funniest thing is the way it's described. It's, first of all, of all wines, you know, there seems so random. One is like a Sauvignon Blanc, one is a red blend, and now he's doing a Prosecco. Um, also, it's described, it's it's in the name, it's Extra Dry Prosecco, which is like, he's a shooter, you know? The last thing you want to be described <laughs> as is dry. Finally, <laughs> is this a little too on the nose for him? He's a player who, like, clearly has like well-documented issues of staying out too late, drinking too much, partying too much, getting fat on the off season. Is it the best idea for him to be putting out a liquor line? It's a ter it's terrible branding. It's literally hilarious. One, he did an interview with Forbes about the announcement. One of my favorite quotes in that was the interviewer asked, so what brought you to the wine world? And James was like, to be honest, I think it was just that hard liquor like tequila made it difficult to wake up in the morning. So having a glass <laughs> of wine at dinners, it's like a total alcoholic, like, you know, justification. It reminds, there's a really famous uh, tweet he once sent out. He sent out, rise and grind, let's get to work, hashtag, like, grind, at 12.30 p.m. in the afternoon, which was fucking <laughs> hilarious. And I immediately saw that quote, and I was like, God damn it. We're not winning the championship this year. <laughs> That's or, or maybe you are, and guess what? They'll be popping bottles of the extra dry Prosecco <laughs> at game seven of the finals. Jesus Christ, that's not happening. <laughs> well, I wanted to keep on the subject of alcohol because there's another thing that I saw in the news this week about Dublin's only alcohol-free bars shutting down. And this is a trend that I've been noticing. I, there's one here in Silver Lake. Alcohol-free bars and bottle shops. I'm personally offended by this. What do you think about this? It's a it's an affront against God, and it's I think it's just, <laughs> it's like silly. Like, look, obviously, totally okay not to drink alcohol. Don't drink if you don't want to yeah. drink. But I don't get the desire to like pretend like you are drinking. Like, no, just like yeah. don't just don't drink. It's kind of like it's. I have a similar take on like vegan food, trying to like make you know weird like steaks and burgers. Just eat yeah. vegetables if you want to eat vegetables. It's fine. But no one's mad. Right. I have, I have, don't these already exist? Aren't they just called coffee shops? Yeah, literally, literally, yeah. Go to a juice bar, go to a coffee shop. It's juice fine. Bar, coffee shop, any restaurant that doesn't serve alcohol. These, there's nothing gets under my skin more than people who are trying to 
solve for a problem that doesn't exist. Yeah. And then yeah. trying to make trying to make a business out of it, which honestly, <laughs> you could say that's what we're doing here on this podcast. But uh, <laughs> what I mean by this is I, I just think it's it's a bunch of like probably like, you know, millennial entrepreneurs who took some of their parents' money and were like, I have this great idea, alcohol-free whiskey bar. <laughs> Let's go. It's just, it's just, you know, I, I will say the other thing that I have that's a problem with this is there are people who don't drink and mm -hmm. I fully support those people. And I want someone in your family who I, I love very much. They don't, I don't know if they drink or they do, but whenever we go out, they don't order alcohol. And they go and they order a mocktail like mm -hmm. a boss. Yeah. We go to like the fanciest bars, the fanciest restaurants, and your relative will look this person in the eye, the, the bartender or, or the waiter or the garçon or whatever, and just say, one mocktail, please. <laughs> Dead ass. Not specifying anything. Not what, they don't even know if they have a mocktail on the menu. It just puts it it's, – it's, it's a power play, and I respect it so much. And to take that power away from these people – feels wrong. No, that's right. And we're talking about my sister, by the way. Shout out, Isa. She's probably listening to this. And you're, you're exactly I right. I didn't know you wanted to be mentioned on such a far-reaching and illustrious platform. <laughs> Hello, Isa. She, she has – so look, if you're not drinking, have the cojones to look – like just to be like, no, I'm going to have my thing. I'm going to have it in a bar. And it doesn't matter if other people are having alcohol. I'm going to have my delicious non-alcoholic drink. And I love when they're like, we don't have mocktails. And she's like – you can make one though, right? You can make a mocktail. <laughs> it's like not like, hard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. The one thing I did like about this Dublin uh, alcohol-free bar was its name. It was called the Virgin Mary, which mm -hmm. props to that. Props to that. It has, by the way, real quick on the Virgin Mary, which has since closed, I believe. I think yeah. it's hilarious that they try to make this concept work in the country maybe most famous for drinking. They're like, hey, you know who will love a non-alcoholic bar? The Irish. Irish. No, they won't. <laughs> no, and that, that was the headline. It was Dublin's only alcohol-free bar shuts its doors. Of course. So, yeah. <laughs> well, Speaking uh, of the Virgin Mary, though. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk, let's talk uh, weddings. Weddings. What do you... I, I, I'm just bringing that up. I'm I'm not fishing for any compliments, but if you want to compliment me, you can compliment me. <laughs> so congratulations to you and your wife. Beautiful wedding, just a weekend last weekend, the weekend before last, uh, down in Palm Springs. Beautiful, beautiful ceremony. It was a lovely time. Um, congratulations on ending your personal virginity. Uh, Thank that's you. A, that's big news. Big long news, a big step coming. for you. <laughs> yeah, no, it was it was a great little event. Good job. Yeah. Well, you know. I appreciate that. So I will. I will let the listeners uh, in on one detail, which is that cousin saw here stepped in at the eleventh hour. We had an officiant, and uh, unfortunately, they couldn't do the job. So Saw stepped in uh, and did his best, and um, you know, just about brought it across the finish line. But uh, what we really want to talk about is not logistics, but wedding food, because that's right. One of the things that really stuck out to me about this whole wedding planning process, which is a process, by the way is there are so many decisions to be made. And one of the decisions that was most important to me, obviously, is what people were going to eat. I've been to many weddings, and more often than not, the food you get is good, like by design, because people are paying a lot of money for it, and they want to be assured that their guests are going to be getting high-quality food. 
But I've even asked people about their own weddings, like, hey, where'd you get your food? What what did you have? At, what was the food at your wedding? And the amount of times that people look you with a blank stare in their eyes and just say, I don't even remember, it's it's actually crazy. Because I feel like just chicken breasts and, you know, potato dishes and appetizer salads, they all just kind of blend together after a while, after you've been to like, you know, 40 weddings and it's hard to distinguish. So we really want to do something a little bit different. Um, we went Italian, obviously. Uh, we went to an Italian restaurant. We did like Italian. Key distinction for me is I wanted to make everything family meal. We wanted to make everything family style. So we had, you know, dishes of pasta hitting the table, big salads hitting the table, big dishes of chicken hitting the table or whatever uh, and whatnot. And, um, you know, I, look, I thought it was great, but I'm going to sit here and let you critique the, the food of my wedding, my man. Here, give it to me. No, I thought you guys really crushed it. The family style decision was crucial. I thought that was really smart and nice. And I do think like, you know, traditionally part of the issue with wedding food, one, it's a big, typically a big catering event, right? So it's hard to get like super fancy yeah. with it. And two, I think it's inoffensive, right? You just like, I feel like people yeah. are scared yeah. to take risks with, with wedding food. And I thought you guys did a really nice job. It felt personal. It felt personal to food that you guys liked. Um, I thought the pesto pasta was a particular highlight. I really, really, like, really hit the spot. A few points off for having eggplant on the menu. That's not a personal favorite. We'll, we'll dock you for that. But overall, <laughs> it was a really, really great meal. Um, yeah, no, but I, will, yeah. I should have planned my menu around your personal mm -hmm. taste. And that's, that's a mistake I, I will never be able to rectify. Uh, I'll never let you forget it. But, you know, it was a simple. The thing is this. When it's family style, you know, if, if an eggplant was served on, on my plate to me, right, the way it is often at weddings, then I just feel rude not eating the eggplant, yes. right? I got to force it down. Yes. But at your at your wedding, I just got to wait for the green beans instead, right? I just got to like move yeah. right past it, have a salad. It was it was it really worked out well. Um, I will yeah. say, while we were picking the restaurant, it was really important to me uh, to have a place and to, to to my wife to have a place that uh, knew how to cook pasta correctly, uh, meaning mm -hmm. that they didn't overcook it um, or undercook it. If your name is Evan Funky, and <laughs> Basically, we went here numerous times to scout the location, you know, like a good NBA scout, you know, trying almost every single dish on the menu. And the one worry I had was that from time to time, the pasta was overcooked. Mm -hmm. So that was, I, it was truly like devastating to me when we mm -hmm. first went there because it felt like we had found the perfect venue. It was beautiful, gorgeous, magical, great location. All of the other food and the taste of the food was spectacular, but they overcooked the pasta. And to me, that's like, you know, you might as well just like put a nail in my coffin because mm -hmm. I, I don't think I could, I could do that under any circumstance. But we gave the kitchen special orders, undercooked the pasta, and they came oh. through. The pasta was cooked. It, oh, I didn't even know that. That's a great little tidbit. Yeah, the, the pasta was cooked perfectly. And I'm allowed to share, you even had some uh, family from Italy or family from Italy in town. And I heard through the grapevine, I don't know if they told you, that they thought the pasta was cooked perfectly as I well. I didn't hear that. That's great yeah, to hear. Yeah, yeah, I heard that I at the reception. Like, you were just like, don't ask. I was don't ask, don't tell with my family from Italy. I was like, I, I, that, I'm not going to like bug them about how good the food was because <laughs> if it's good. If it's, you know, Italians are funny because if, if the food is good, they won't tell you. If it's bad, they also won't tell you. 
Um, <laughs> they'll just talk, they'll just talk shit behind their, behind your back either way. So it's, it, I didn't want to, I didn't want to ask him like put a dampener on the evening in any way, but it's good to hear through the grapevine that the food went over well. No, it, it was a little bit of a scuttlebutt at the reception that, that the Italian family members thought that you nailed it. And that's so cool that you actually one gave instructions to the kitchen about undercooking or like relatively undercooking versus their baseline and that they did it. Hopefully they like bring that forward. Yeah. Hopefully they learned a lesson or two. Shout out. We'll shout out the restaurant because people can't dox us retroactively, but it's beer bun, Palm, Palm Springs, excellent restaurant, highly recommend it. Um, so yeah, if you're ever in the desert, do go check it out. But I wanted to use this opportunity because it got me thinking a lot about what, the ideal wedding menu would look mm -hmm. like. I like to think mm -hmm. that mine was pretty close, but again, you're working from only one restaurant. I thought, what if you could make a, re a wedding menu out of dishes from all kinds of different restaurants and just put together the one meal to end all meals? And so I think that's what we're going to do right here today. Critically, LA restaurants for this particular game. This is a great idea. This makes me want to like design my potential wedding with this very idea where you get the very best option for your apps, first course, second course, dessert, etc. But like pick and choose the ultimate dish from yeah. the best restaurants in LA to make that meal come together. Now, as I've already warned you, I, I got creative with this particular challenge. I, I think I got some great ideas. Um, okay. But no, that's that's the uh, that's the game today, right? Let's build the perfect That's the game. menu. So what we're, what we're going to do is we're going to pit go uh, course for course. Course for course. We're going to do five courses, I believe. We're going to do amuse-bouche, mm -hmm. appetizer, first course, second course, dessert. Oh, and a sixth course, late night snack. You can't forget oh, yeah. late night snack. Oh, yeah. We're going to go course for course, and then we're going to put it up to vote who put together the best menu. How does that sound? It sounds good. Now, one note. When we go okay. through, amuse-bouche, we'll share, apps, we'll share. When we get to first course, second course, I want you to share both of yours back to back, and then okay. I'm going to share mine, because mine, I've, I've, I've got creative with that. Those are going to be uh, uh, a, a world together, those first and second course meals. So when we do that, walk through both of your options, and I'll give you mine. Okay. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, it's time for the wedding menu off. And we're back with Cousin Saul for the battle of the wedding menus. How you feeling, Saul? You ready to go? Oh, I feel great. I feel really, uh, yeah, I feel really on top of this. But before we dive in, actually, okay. tell me a little bit about what you think makes an ideal wedding menu. Don't give away your choices, but what are like the key sort of like ideas that were underpinning your brainstorm for this? So first of all, I still lean towards making everything family style. Meaning like I have dishes hitting the table for each course and they're meant to like work together and be shared by everybody at the table so that you're getting different flavors melding together, different dishes coming together. And I think that makes for a good wedding menu. Second of all, for me, I mean, I did structure it with the Italian mindset mm -hmm. of first course is pasta, second course is meat, because to mm -hmm. me, that's a complete meal. And to me, that's what is going to make an excellent wedding menu. How about you? What'd you do? So I, I, my underlying concepts here were one. So something that you, you and your wife did so well, 
break convention a little bit. That's of course with the family style yes. and with like trying to get a little bit more personal, right? Personal to the interests of the couple and who you think your audience is. But a key idea also here, you obviously want it to be delicious, but I also want optionality. I want people to mm -hmm. be able to pursue what they want to eat, what they're most interested in that night. But That's I also key. want it, I want it to be, and this can all, obviously this like depends on how people like go about creating their dinner and, and, but I want it to be light enough for people to be able to drink and party afterwards. You want to, a key thing with great food is that when we're making a great food menu, we want to make the most delicious and potentially hearty items on it. But yes. this is a wedding. You got to have people who are raring to go once the, once the last plates are gone and it's time to hit the dance floor. So that was a key I, idea as well. I think I failed on that count. Uh, <laughs> both in my both in my actual wedding and in this menu. I, that was one thing we struggled with during planning our own wedding was, is this too much food? And I think the answer is yes. I think we had too much food, but I will say the family style removes the onus of needing to eat everything, right? That's right. To your point, if you're getting a whole ass eggplant parm on your dish for the appetizer, you feel like you have to eat it. But if it's just one dish that's going around the table, you're starting to feel a little full. You're like, you know what? If I have this eggplant parm, I'm not going to be able to feel the booze, which means I'm not going to be able to dance as hard on the dance floor. You're doing your calculus in your head and you get to make your own decision without feeling rude. It's a great point. It's, it's a calculus that I made during your wedding. Now, don't tell your wife this, but I have, a, I have something to admit. Don't worry. I don't did. worry. She's, she, doesn't, she doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> and she never will. Uh, <laughs> I, I, skipped, I skipped your meat dish. I didn't have any of the chicken or meat at the end of the night because after the delicious pasta course where you had a, a red sauce and the pesto that I mentioned as my favorite, I filled up on that a little bit. And I was like, you know what? If I go, if I go more here, I'm going to feel uncomfortable. Now, no one noticed that I didn't eat anything for that last meal yeah. because it was family style. It was no pressure. I yeah. got to design the flow exactly as I wanted. So hopefully your family style approach will negate the what sounds like pretty hearty meal you put together here. Exactly. It's, it's all about picking and choosing. Right. And I, that's, you know what, I probably had more of that, uh, meat dish because I knew it was coming and I knew it's something I really wanted. And the fact right. that you didn't have some just meant more for me, you know, so it's kind of a win-win <laughs> situation. Um, but yeah, don't worry. She doesn't listen to this podcast, so she'll never know that. Um, so without further ado, I think we should get on, get, get, going because the people are hungry. You know, our wedding guests are starting to get a little antsy. We got to start feeding them. So I'm going to kick things off with my amuse-bouche. Now, my amuse-bouche is a little bit large. It's, uh, it's, I'm, I like to think that this restaurant would maybe put, put together a version that's like a mini version of this. Um, but if not, you know, people could pound it. And that is the sweet potato taco from Gorilla Tacos. Mm. I like now, it. If you're having an LA food wedding, what's more quintessential than that, you know? And and for it to be a nice sort of like light vegetarian bite to it, this is to start the evening. I liked that. You got a little bit of that sort of like taco LA street flair. And as you'll see at the end of the night, I like to have sort of like a circular theme, like a, like a mm. beginning and ending. So that's my amuse-bouche. Sweet potato taco, gor gorilla tacos. I like it a lot. Gorilla was in consideration for one of my uh, for one of my restaurant dishes. I didn't, I think, ultimately put them in, but I like this option. And, and crucially, I, I will give you this: when I was conceptualizing my menu and thinking about my favorite dishes, I was allowing for transformation to fit the night. 
So like smaller versions of particular portions, you could even say, I would allow you to even say, I want a mini tostada version of the sweet potato uh-huh. taco okay. or just a mini taco or something like that. So I will yeah. allow for edits, slight edits to the fundamental dish. I think it's a nice little start. Now I will say also, oh yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, even like on like one of those spoons, you know, like if they yeah. just had like the elements of the sweet potato taco in the spoon, no tortilla or something like that, that could be, that could be fire as well. That one perfect bite. Now, I, I, hilariously, as soon as you started talking, it went, my mousse bouche is, is a little big. It immediately reminded me of the Restaurant Wars episode of Top Chef Portland, where they did Chef's Table. And then Gabe, the eventual winner, came up with the dumbass idea of adding in a mousse to an already six-course menu. That was a yeah. huge weighty tostada. And I was like, he's doing a Gabe. He's going to screw this up. But yeah. with our little edits yeah. here, I think, you've, I think you've found it. And I will say, like, at a wedding, the mousse-bouche is usually served during, like, a standing cocktail time, you know? Mm-hmm. So right. it's, really, it's really just, like, to soak up the booze while you're talking to people you've never met at the cocktail. And then you're going to get ready to sit down for the real meal. So yep. hopefully like not too much. <laughs> uh, right, what you what got? I, my mousse-bouche. So this, this is people are already sitting down. My, I should also mention, I'll, I'll walk you through the structure of my reception when we get to the, the first and second main courses. Uh, but imagine people have sat down already, cocktail reception is, reception is wrapped, people have found their seats. Uh, the amuse-bouche is a tequila shot. Casamigos. <laughs> <laughs> We're starting off the night right now. Also, you know what's funny too? You got to think about um, that the fact that, you know, you know, toasts and speeches come into play during the dinner, right? People yeah. are talking. Yeah. I'm kind of picturing... Uh, people take their seats and there's maybe an opening slash like a welcome speech happening. You do a little toast tequila shot to the speech. That's your amuse. That kicks off dinner. It kicks off a great night. I I like that because if you're thinking about how to keep people light, you know, how to, how to sort of like lubricate the room. Uh, yep. And also things always taste better when you're a little buzzed. So that's right. Things taste better. You're a Hey, let's put it this way. Ain't nothing to mousse in the bouche more than a tequila sauce. <laughs> that's right. You got you to loosen up. The, you mentioned social lubricant. I think that's perfect for, you know, people are sitting down. They might have unfamiliar folks around them. Let's loosen it up. Let's not fill ourselves up unnecessarily. And let's get a good dinner and good night going. Casamigos tequila shot. Now, I'm cheating a bit because there's no L.A. restaurant associated with it. We can just say a little joy or something. I'm sure they have Casamigos. Yeah. But that yeah. was that to me was like I, the ideal way to kick off the dinner. You think Little Joy has Casamigos? Maybe, maybe not. I, I would say I wanted to get Little Joy in in some way, so I'm just gonna let. I'm just gonna say, hey, you're gonna have a little stand here, Little Joy. You have your you have your sign yeah. up, and uh, I'll buy you some Casamigos. We'll just say it's. Really <laughs> you just pour it, pour it, yeah. and bring the box. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, okay. Let's move on to appetizer. So our our guests are now sitting. At least my guests were standing for the amuse bouche, which was a mm-hmm. sweet potato taco for gorillas. Now they're gonna be sitting. And the appetizers hit the table. It's all family style. And we've got three appetizers coming to the table. First, want something a little meaty. We're going with what I think are the best chicken wings in all of Los Angeles. And they are the Red Wings from D-Town Pizzeria in West Hmm. Hollywood. Now, I had these as an accident during my pizza countdown. I went and I ordered um, Detroit-style pizza. And I always underestimate how much things are going to fill me up. So I thought, oh, of course I need an appetizer. 
I ordered the red wing, the wings that they had on the menu, which happened to be these red wings. They are perfectly cooked wings with this sweet, salty, like Asian style glaze on them with a little bit of like sesame seeds and chopped green onion. Best wings I've ever had. I ate like nine by myself in one sitting. Had to have them out at this at this menu. They will be accompanied by something a little bit lighter, which is this is kind of embarrassing to say, but a kale salad. Now it's not just any kale salad. It's not just any kale salad. This is a kale salad from The Window, which is a burger shop. Hmm. And they make an incredible cashew pepe inspired kale salad with tons oh. of pecorino cheese and a crap ton of black pepper. It is insane. You might as well not have the kale in there, but you've got you get that freshness and it, it's but it still brings sort of like the decadence and the party to the to the table. Finally, we're going to add a little bit of a, a, a fried vegetable, too. And this one's going to surprise people. I'm bringing Evan Funky to the menu. We're going with his fried artichokes from Mother Wolf, a classic Roman dish. Accompany it with the kasha pipa kale salad. You got like you got Asia meets Rome in this appetizer course. I I like it. I, actually, I like I like it a lot. I will say you are you you saved it for me when I realized the glaze for the chicken wings was sweet and and like sweet and uh, Asian tang. Because if it was hot wings, I was like, you're out of your mind. You're out of your mind giving people <laughs> hot wings to start off a dinner. Everyone's already like full and in pain. But no, I like the balance. It is heavy. It is heavy, but I'm picturing the meal. Wings, a beautiful sounding kale salad, I should say. I want to try that. Um, and, and the fried artichokes. Yeah. It's, it's a nice yeah, it's a nice hearty start. Yeah, yeah, I believe it. Yeah, right. hearty start, but very vegetable forward. So far, three out of my four dishes have been very vegetable forward. And so I like to think I'm keeping it light for people. I really did not prioritize vegetables in my meal. And you'll find that out right now. <laughs> what I'm doing now, people are sitting, family style apps as well. We're doing Bavel's pita and dips plate, first of all. The mm. best pita and a range of beautiful dips. Hummus, of course. Uh, baba ganoush, smoked trout riette. It's going to be the perfect kind of starting point. Not too heavy. Delicious, delicious pita. Maybe the best I've ever had. And a shared sort of like you got the dip experience. And I think that light, I'm really prioritizing light to start. I don't want people to like your, overdo your guests it. guests are going to be so drunk, bro. I, that's also great. I'm really <laughs> trying <laughs> And along with along with the the shared pita and dips from Bavel, which I think is like does does that better than anyone else in LA, uh, oyster place from Found Oyster. Now I know. Look, not everyone likes oyster. I don't care. Have the dips. We're gonna do it's your, uh, it's your wedding. It's, it's your exactly, wedding. exactly. We'll have beautiful plates of oyster uh, on the table yeah. for folks to share. I think it's the perfect little like light bites. I was almost thinking like, was there a Greek restaurant in LA that I could think of also to like kind of like um, uh, have a Greek salad in here or compliment in other ways. But I, I yeah. didn't have one off the top of my head that at least I've eaten that. So I kept it with these two. And we're going to do a nice, I mean, look, the best of the best pita, some of the best oysters around. I think it's a great way to start. I will say the combination of like a hyper acidic baba ganoush and oysters melding in my stomach feels weird. But to each their own, I guess. Is, is baba ganoush that acidic? It's oily. I like, like uh, hummus and of course baba ganoush are oily dishes. It's not a bad, not a bad shout, but I do. I hope the the thick, fluffy, pillowy pita will help help so everything emulsify. Yeah. 
in your stomach. <laughs> Lovely. That's what I want. I just want a big emulsified mass in my stomach as I enter the evening. Now, I, I will say I appreciate this because you're overcoming your stereotype against Middle Eastern food and, and throwing it on your on your menu, which, you know, some people like don't believe that people can change, but you're proving everybody wrong right here. I, I, I am. I like to buck the trend. Ali has really changed me, right? Like his, his, his handsomeness and good looks have really opened my eyes. But look, it's also just true that Bavel has, Bavel does it better than anyone. And I just love dips as an appetizer. I love yeah. like some finger food. You obviously have wings. Of course, keep in mind, your, your guests are wearing the fanciest clothes they've ever worn and they're getting sticky with like, you know, uh, sweet and sour chicken no, wing sauce. But I love that. I love that juxtaposition of like fancy ass dress and like yeah. non fancy foods. But we had pizza at our wedding, you know, like, yeah. like out of a box. Like I want that. I want that vibe. So I'm here for it. Okay, like it we're getting to we're getting to the meat of the meal. We're gonna do first course and second course. I'll give you my first and second course. Okay. So as I mentioned. I believe in doing a pasta for first course and a meat for second course, like my grandmother taught me. <laughs> my first course, we're going to have two pastas and one side, okay? Okay. First pasta, it's going to be the mandili al pesto from Factory Kitchen in the Arts District. Ooh, These are interesting. like handkerchief pasta yep. like layered on top of each other with the creamiest pesto sauce. I think this is one of the best dishes in all of Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. Pasta or, or or none. There's also a very good uh, version that your boy Jackson Kolb does of Top Chef fame. Oh yeah, at his restaurant. But the one that first introduced this dish to me was Factory Kitchen, so I had to throw them on. Now you've got your green pasta. We're gonna couple it with a red pasta, and the red pasta we're going with it's the Malai Rigatoni from Pija Palace. Ooh, oh, that's a great shout. That's a great shout. Yeah, I like that. So this is like. Indian vodka sauce. It's absolutely incredible. It's like, it's almost like a, yeah, it's got like a bit of like butter chicken thing going on with the, mm -hmm. with the flavor profile. Um, but it's also giving vodka sauce. And so it's a perfect, I think it's a perfect accompaniment to the, the pesto mandili. Now salad, I was, I was really like torn about because I'm not sure how these flavors will meld. However, I like to think that the Malai rigatoni are a bridge from Italy to Southeast Asia. And so we're going with a Southeast Asian salad, the larb from Night and Market. Whatever meat you want, we could do pork, we could do meat, we could even do tofu if we want to keep it light. But we're doing a beautiful larb salad on the side to round things out. And that's first course. All right. I like it. You, I will say I'm worried that your guests are already in a food coma. You've got fried <laughs> food at the apps. You got fried food, you got a taco to start, fried food in the apps, and creamy pasta yeah, and, no, in the my, first my course. Are, my guests are fucked. My guests are fucked. <laughs> but this is, this, is, this is just assuming all my guests are basically just me, meaning like they, they can eat as much as I can and continue. The, the, the rule is eat till you hate yourself. And that's <laughs> the rule on the way. So that's first course. Second course, we're transitioning to the meats, and I'm really worried about the amount of food I have now. But I am also going to uh, the Bavel Fountain, and we're going with the lamb neck shawarma from Bavel, mm -hmm. another mm -hmm. one of the best dishes in the city. We're doing a little bit of surf and turf because alongside the lamb, we're going with the spicy fried shrimp dry pot from Sichuan Impression, which is one of the truly best seafood dishes 
I've ever had, let alone Los Angeles. Spicy, like that sort of like Sichuan pepper that numbs the mouth a little bit, mm -hmm. uh, but not overpoweringly so, so you can still enjoy the rest of the meal. Head on shrimp, it's like down and dirty, absolutely love it. And as a side, we're going to do fried potatoes from Open Sesame. Oh, my God. The best God. fried potatoes in the world. <laughs> I know. I'm like, as I'm saying this, I am going to be like charged with manslaughter for this. But that's, that's what I'm doing. That's my meal. It, it's, it's a great combination of dishes. Like I said, I mean, look, the, your, the, the kind of cover you can hide under here is family style. So people can have as family much style. or as little as they want. Take Take a shrimp, a sliver of lamb nishana, <laughs> two potatoes, tiny little dish, you know? If that's how you roll, that's how you roll. But guess what? You're getting all those flavors together. Unforgettable night. It's 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 a nice, delicious meal that honors LA to you. You have some great mix of LA restaurants. I respect that. I think that your guests are asleep by 9.30 p.m. <laughs> Which, honestly, if we've only paid the venue until 10, that's kind of the goal here. So <laughs> I'll consider that a success. There you go. Um, okay. Now, here, I'm going to break your brain now. First and second course, the main meal. We're going we're gonna to kind of throw, throw that out the window a little bit, that, that framework, right? Because we said we want to be unconventional. And you can figure out how to put this in from the voting, however you want. But here's what I want you to picture. Do you remember when we went to Lovely's 50-50 in Portland and then ate it? at a food truck pod called Prost right next door, picnic table set up surrounded by great food where people can go pick and choose whatever they want. My wedding, including yeah, for the, yeah, yeah go, ahead, go ahead. Lovely's 50-50 is a pizza spot. It's a bit on chef's table pizza, Sarah Minnick, excellent pizza chef. Yeah, I remember that. So, so good. So, so good. But what, I, what really stood out to me was the vibe of the pod. I love the Portland food truck pod scene. Right. So both for my amuse and my appetizers, imagine my imagine my guests lined up on big family style picnic tables, big long tables surrounded by their food that will be coming to them dim sum style in small plates and also accessible to them to get. Yeah. Oh, yeah, baby. Listen to this. Here's what we got. Here's what we got surrounding us. We got girl and the goat shrimp, crispy green salad and goat curry. Now, I know that to be clear. I know the restaurants I'm going to name are not food trucks. I don't care. I'm paying for so little pop-up stands. Yeah, kind of like it's basically like when there are these food festivals where like yes. restaurants come prepared with like mini versions of their dishes, and but they're now going like around dim sum style. This is genius. This is genius. I'm going to give it. This to is you. literally the headline for this is the perfect LA smorgasbord experience, right? So we yeah. got girl and the goat, shrimp and crispy green salad, and their goat curry with some fried roti in the curry. Oh, one of our favorite. Again, a heavy dish, but these are going to be small plates of it, little tasting style. We got Bestia. Bestia is bringing the pasta, roasted bone marrow. We got cavatelli alla nortina and ricotta tortellini. Again, small plates of pasta going around. We got Moose Craft Barbecue Smoked Beef Cheek Tacos, the best thing I ate in 2021. <laughs> And my guests are going to be asleep. My guests are going to be asleep. Hey, hey, look, dim sum style. Eat as much or as little as you want, but you have all these options. You have small plates. You can get up. And by the way, I think a key thing that happens at dinner uh, at weddings is that you typically have assigned seating, right? Which means that people yeah. are stuck interacting with the same folks. Hopefully not stuck. Hopefully, like, you know, enjoying their night, but interacting with the same folks throughout. But if you have a combination of dim sum as well as the stands around, people can get up and get second uh, – uh, second servings of their favorite things, run into other folks while they're doing it. 
Um, yeah. You know, you can picture you can picture it. Finally, because I needed some veggie dish, I got cafe gratitude there. I've never eaten cafe gratitude. I don't even know what's good on their menu, but they got some salad shit for the people who want salad. And finally, <laughs> finally. Oh, look, I like this. It's diverse too because you got some like if you have vegan guests, they got a place to go. They, yeah, yeah. For a long time, I was like, fuck them. Fuck the vegans. They're just like the people going to the non-alcoholic bars. Forget about <laughs> it. But no, I figured we need to have some some light thing. And finally, something that you didn't yeah. address that we didn't name. We're going to have a drink stand, buddy. We're going to have Mirate, a restaurant we were just at, serving uh-huh. mezcal cocktails yeah. and the ultimate cheating move. I'm going to bring back the Sunset Beer Boys. Get them a oh, little, get them a little stand, and even though they just they don't make their own beer, they're just gonna be serving other beers, but they'll curate it perfectly, <laughs> and there's gonna be the beers vibe, on tap. They'll they'll bring they'll bring the vibe. That is the, the main. That's the main dinner experience. The, the whole the whole venue, the whole vision is we're all together, surrounded by good food throughout the dinner. We're gonna have shared plates for appetizers, a little tequila shot to start us off, and then great food brought to you in small plates throughout. And if you want to double down somewhere, go get it. Mm. I, I, I like this. I love the creativity, uh, claps for the creativity. This is a little condescending to start. Hey. I was going to say, this is a little, <laughs> that's, that's what, how I treat you. Condescension <laughs> is our love. Language. Now, have you ever been to one of those events where you go to, like, uh, for example, yep. Jonathan Gold used to have one. It was like called the Taste of – or the, the Gold Standard. And he mm-hmm. invited a bunch of restaurants and they come and they create like little versions of their dishes. You go around, you try a bunch, and you go home. Have you ever been mm-hmm. to one of those? I have. Well, Smorgasburg so, LA is similar to that, right? I mean in, in, in its own way. That's more what I'm envisioning, but I've also it's been – how, how's Smorgasburg, LA, Smorgasburg LA, you're getting full-size – Full size full sure, sure. Like you, if you're going to like, you know, uh, Bridgetown roadie, you're getting a whole yeah. ass roadie. Or if you're going yeah. to like Brock Street, you're getting a whole ass like lobster roll and whatnot. The thing about these events is they are deceptive. They are deceptive because you're like, oh, this is great. Small portions. I can try everything. May I shit you not. The most full I've ever been is at one of these events. Interesting. I, when I was like, look, small plates. Great. I can try everything. I won't be full. I tried maybe like, to be fair, I probably tried like 60 different stands. But when you put all that onto one plate, it probably, it should have killed me. If I wasn't, if I wasn't like me and at that time, like 21 or 20 or something like that with ravenous hunger and just like self-hatred, I would have died. But I remember being on the floor of the the Rose Bowl wishing I was dead. So I will say you could have some guests who encounter danger in this situation. I'm going to mostly chalk this up as a Luca problem. And then look, it's, it's a fair flag. We'll have an EMS on site for you specifically. We'll have, a, we'll have an ambulance with Luca's name, Luca's ambulance on it. <laughs> yeah, great. I, I thought you were going to say, we'll chalk this up as a Luca problem and thank God you're not invited. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that, that's, that's the vision, man. That's the vision. I feel good about it's, it. It's pretty epic. Uh, it's pretty epic. I'm not going to lie. I'm worried. I'm, I'm concerned. I'm concerned about the boat here. So let's move on to desserts. Um, I'm keeping it simple. I've given my guests a lot of food, okay? So I'm not trying to overload them. I'm just trying to use this as an opportunity to showcase my favorite dessert, which I think is the most underrated dessert of all time, and mm. that is Tres Leches Cake. Ooh, nice. Yeah. I've recently come across this awesome place that only delivers on DoorDash called Tres Lecheria. 
They just have Tres Leches cakes of all different flavors. We got little mini portions of Tres Leches cake and all like strawberry, dulce de leche, classic, cookies and cream coming around the table. Quick little sweet bite, end of the meal. Sweet as a nut. That's my dessert. I like it. We actually have Tres Lecheria in Seattle as well. I haven't tried it yet, but this is a great shout, Wait, first no of all. Way. Yeah, we do. We do. I've actually seen, I've seen it before. I've gone by it. I used to live quite close to it. Um, I, I like it. I respect it. I was, I was expecting you to say flan, actually. I thought flan was a big thing for you. I love flan. That's more my missus than me. Um, I like it as well, but I like it more in terms of like, here's a dessert she and I can agree on. Um, right. And like, cause usually I like very disgusting things that she doesn't like, but that's one that we can agree on. Um, she hates Tress Letch's cake. She's just like, this is soggy. Wow. Cake. Wow. Uh, yeah. I, I think it's offensive personally, but, uh, I love it. And, um, it's my wedding, not hers. So this is going to be, this is going to be the dessert at my wedding. Are there going to be a, a accessible series of toilets at your wedding for guests to throw up after overeating <laughs> sugar and fried food? <laughs> no, actually, this is my version of the menu. My plan is just to feed everybody all this food and, and log all the toilets and see what happens. I like that. I like that plan. Um, yeah, no, dessert, keeping it simple, man. We're going to, we're going to, so we have all our, all our restaurants around us. We're going to let a few of them close down. Girl and the Goat sure as hell is not allowed to serve dessert. I don't know if you remember our experience there. What they yeah, make, it was like, like mushroom? It was like oh. mushroom, mushroom ass gelato, I think, believe is what they called it. Disgusting. The ass, the ass <laughs> really came through. The ass really, the ass really stood out. It was an unbalanced dish. It was, it was so bad. It was, it tasted like dirt. It was just, it had this like, dirt earthy flavor i appreciate the creativity but it did not work it, it was not a dessert by any means it tasted bad i think they actually have updated their menu and took it off that was like closer to the opening of the restaurant i think they took a risk and it didn't work and they've like gone back to some uh old standbys instead but for my for my wedding dinner we're going to be having chocolate budino from bestia they'll transition and share the, that out just a fucking good dessert man and oh, i believe in the what's up I was saying, Budino is one of my favorites, so I, oh, it's I can get down to that. I think you're the one who put me on to that when we went to Bestia together. You were like, Budino is happening, and I was like, I don't know what that is, and then one of the best. And I believe in a chocolate and like kind of light fruit mix. So Moosecraft yeah. does a, a mini key lime pie, which I think will be perfect mm. balance of the chocolate options. Oh, I like that. I, I like this. that because <laughs> you have left your guests enough room to enjoy this. So. Mm -hmm. That I mean, if they, if they have good judgment, right? We'll 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 leave space for the Lucas who have passed out after the uh, main <laughs> course. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, everybody except me will be enjoying dessert at this point, and we'll be having enough room to actually taste it with their taste buds. Um, no, dude, you you crushed. You really did. Um, I'm worried about what the listeners are going to say. Now we finished our meal. We are dancing, presumably, mm -hmm. um, burning some calories. Yep. And uh, midnight rolls around, and mm -hmm. it is custom at a lot of weddings to bring out a late night snack. Um, typically, this is like kind of more of like a callback to one of the groomer brides' like favorite like trash foods, like mac and cheese or tater mm -hmm. tots or pizza or whatever. Yep. I'm going with the food I've eaten the drunk most. And that is the all meat al pastor burrito from Tacos El Ludico near USC. We're doing it. All meat? Oh, so it was just pure pastor in a wrap. Pure pastor, bro. 
pure unadulterated pastor and tortilla. <laughs> That's what I used to do. I used to just like have have a few drinks at a party. Irish goodbye, straight tacos al unico. Take down a pound and a half of alcohol. Take down a pound and a half of pork and pass out. That was me. So you you are telling me after the heaviest menu of food that anyone's ever eaten at a wedding. You're giving them yeah. almost two pounds of all pastor meat straight up as their late night snack. That's look, what I'm hearing. Look, what we're gonna do? What we're gonna do is we're, we're, we can like cut the burritos in, in halves or thirds, you know, just like little pinwheels. Yeah, yeah, only burritos. three quarters of a pound and, of and meat instead of a instead of a pound and a half. <laughs> well, hey, you you say that, but guess what? I'm taking out of the burrito in order to do that. Heavy and rice beans. That's the last thing people want after my meal. You know, if anything, I'm giving them like a light keto option to end the night. So <laughs> I think I'm being thoughtful. <laughs> look, I look. I, to be clear, I would eat it. That sounds fucking delicious. Um, your whole your whole menu does sound delicious. To be fair, it's a it's a really uh, you know it's an insane man's menu, right? It's very much the yes. the man who doesn't want to survive for the day after their wedding, which is you know romantic yeah. in its own way, very Romeo and Juliet. Um, I thought I thought we were gonna have the same late night option, and for a second I thought you were about to go there. Taco Zone. I know maybe. what you're doing. I know what you're doing. Taco Zone. Yeah, Taco it was. Zone. Yeah, it, yeah. It was my option. It was my option, but I took it off because I had a feeling you were gonna do it, and it would have been too like uh, cliche, cheesy, like you know, rom com no. ending. Like, that would that would have been so sweet, man. That would have been so it cute. Also, it would have been hilarious for listeners to vote on who had the better late night option with the same one just to see. Who likes us more, right? <laughs> Who's more beloved yeah, among the fan base? <laughs> but dude, you know what? You know what? That could all could have also been the way that listeners knew they're actually at the same wedding and we are marrying each other. <laughs> and that was the point. That's the point. That's what all right, so we're gonna put this up to a vote and we'll let the listeners decide. Typically I win these things because people like me better than you. Um, no, you've actually, literally lost, you've lost the yeah. only vote we've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. I've actually never won, won anything, uh, that I've ever entered. So, um, we'll put it up to listeners to a vote. Um, but yeah, look, well, I, I gotta go actually, because tonight I have a pretty special eating experience. I'm going to pasta night at Pizzana. Ooh, that's awesome, man. That'll be yeah. great. Every, Yo, everyone. I, I expect to see that. I, I expect to see that on the LA uh, countdown Insta. By the way, I know it's not pasta year, well, but you yeah. better show show some I'm, show some of the some of the meal. I will absolutely be doing a story. It's uh, the my favorite chef, Daniele Oditi, the pizza guy. At once in a blue moon, he has these pasta nights where he just like goes ham and cooks a bunch of fresh pasta. Incredible! Like they look incredible. I've never Ooh. had them so. I'm taking the old ball and chain there for, you know, an impromptu date night and uh, we'll be reporting back on it, but I got to go get dressed because I'm currently in, in sweats. Uh, so, you know, I can't, I can't be showing up to pasta and sweats. You know what I mean? No, 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 that's, that's, that's embarrassing and shows a lack of self-respect. So it might be appropriate for you, but, but don't, but no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Lack of respect for the chef, honestly. So I'm going to go <laughs> put on my best, put on my best tuxedo and head out to pasta night. But dude, Thank you for doing this. This was really fun. And, and thanks again for uh, stepping in and officiating when uh, the real officiant, you know, had to duck out. Uh, this is the point where I uh, do a pull a Robert Durst in the drinks and admit that I killed him. I killed him so I can do it. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, I, I should note, you call me Cousin Saul on this pod. I think it's Father Saul now. I, I'm going to keep Father it Saul. Father right. Saul, baby. It's graduated. official. 
<laughs> it's official. He's graduated, everyone. He is now Father Saul. Well, Father Saul, we'll see you soon. Uh, thanks again for joining. Go and uh, go and uh, keep working on that uh, dream to become the Infatuation Seattle's next social media intern. Yeah, yeah, I'll get right to that. All right, take care, son. Thanks for listening to another episode of the LA Food Podcast. If you like what you heard, please go to wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a rating, a review, and subscribe if you should be so inclined. If you want to find me, you can find me at the LA Countdown on TikTok and Instagram. That's the LA Countdown, T-H-E-L-A-C-O-U-N-T-D-O-W-N.